are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. It was originally inspired by the work that I was doing around research and meaning in work and identity over the last 15 years, and it now complements the work that I do at Insignium, a global management consulting firm. I'll get to the program in just a moment, but first let me thank my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. They are the leading locally job-focused job board in the nation. They are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard and giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Thanks, Jobbing.com. Last week, if you missed us, we were on the air with Paola Sabene, who is the co-founder of Neutrino Peach Labs, an ecosystem-based consulting company here in Dallas. And she's a 21-year veteran in the information technology transformation and business innovation executive space. We talked about her career and her most proud moments leading teams to levels of engagement, performance, and doing, frankly, what was considered to be the impossible for such organizations as the state of Hawaii and several others. She also shared how her additional degrees and experiences in psychology and in literature and linguistics and her previous preparation to become a nun inform her leadership approach and her ability to create a vision her team can wholeheartedly embrace and follow. She was an incredible inspiration. Several, several listeners wrote in to say thanks for having her. She was just fantastic. For this week's conversation, with me is Kevin Wheeler, a well-known futurist, speaker, author, teacher, and consultant in talent acquisition and development. Kevin is the founder and chairman of the Future of Talent Institute. He's also founder and president of Global Learning Resources Incorporated and a director of the Australasian, I think you say, Talent Conference. We'll be talking about some workforce trends as far out as 2025 that he predicts will impact how companies hire, develop, and retain talent. He joins us today from San Francisco, California. Kevin, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Liz. Great to be here. So for listeners who don't know how I, I know this gentleman, I've, I, I met Kevin years ago when he was and still is a thought leader coming into the electronic recruiting exchange uh, conferences. And that's where I originally met him and fell in love with, with his work. I've attended some of his seminars and have been the beneficiary of hearing his wisdom. So when I thought about it being close to the end of the year, we tend to reflect, we think about what's going to happen in the future. I thought he was obvious to invite on the show. So here he is. So thanks, Kevin. This is going to be fun. I look forward so, to it. Yeah. So, so to kick us off and to give our listeners a flavor of what we'll be talking about in this conversation, if we can just maybe start with one important human resource trend that you think will really impact how organizations will hire talent, just to get us started. Uh, you really uh, put me in a tough spot because I have I know. only one. <laughs> just one. <laughs> there are so many things going on out there that are, um, that are affecting organizations today. Um, I, I think probably one of the major factors that's uh, uh, looming pretty heavily now, certainly in the high-tech industry and, and really everywhere, is this whole notion of uh, more diversity in the workforce. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be a dominant trend for the next um, next few years uh, as we try to increase the, particularly the number of women in leadership and in technology. 
uh, and as we just try to bring in general a more diverse workforce to play. Um, you know, we've got the talent shortages, um, we've got uh, skill shortages for sure, and diversity is one of the ways that I think that companies are looking to help to overcome that, as well as to bring you know more innovation and creativity into the workplace. Mm. Of course, music to my ears, Kevin. I don't know if you know, but I did have the lovely ability and um, opportunity a couple years back to serve on um, the Dallas-Fort Worth Staffing Management Association as the VP of uh, Professional Development and Diversity, which meant that I had the wonderful opportunity to host our annual diversity conference, which meant procuring diversity speakers and then creating the the actual um, experience and it, recruiting people to attend, et cetera. And it was a phenomenal experience to get to do that and meet people who are, who work in that space and take that topic so seriously. And so I learned a lot about it, and I couldn't agree more. It's so, so, so important. I love that you started with that. I had no idea what you were going to say, but <laughs> I love that you started with diversity. <laughs> well, I think it's uh, obviously one of those things that um, we've all been thinking about and talking about for a very long time. <clears throat> Unfortunately, the data doesn't show that we've done much about it. Mm-hmm. So I think the real focus is on, on the recruiting side and on leadership side is, you know, how do we really um, start to solve that problem? Mm-hmm. Now, I know we're not talking about this per se, but one of the other things that, that kind of seems tangentially related to for me is even just the parity and pay between the genders. And I teach at Southern Methodist University, and most of my, my students are women. And so we talk about how at, at what point will there be parity? And I think it was estimated for another couple of decades at least. And so, of course, what I encourage them is, well, if you could get out there and lead more quickly, ladies, then maybe we could close that gap a little bit more, a little a little faster. So, of course, I also appreciate that you're focusing on women in leadership as a, as a, as a spectrum or a piece of this diversity aspect. Huge. It's huge. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we used to joke about, obviously, in, in the world of human capital and the and when I was in the recruiting space specifically, is how we actually get into the field. And we you know there's always the joke of, yeah, when I when I was three years old, I, I knew I wanted to be a recruiter or a human resource um, talent. <laughs> Maybe not. So you've been in the field though for a long time, Kevin, and I won't say how many years, but it's a long, long time. How did you get started, and why HR? Uh, it was accidental. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was getting at. Yeah, uh huh. I had I had never even really heard about HR. I was actually a teacher, mm. and I moved to California um, because my wife was uh, she's a computer scientist, and she was moved by IBM to to San Jose, California. So we moved out here, and I started looking for a job. And I didn't. I decided I didn't want to teach in the school system, so I started looking at corporate learning and development jobs. And one of the high tech companies hired me. And learning and development is in HR. <laughs> so suddenly, I became going to all these meetings where people were talking about HR and compensation and benefits and all sorts of stuff that I had never thought about. Um, and that's how I got into the HR world. Mm. You know, I don't think I knew that piece of your background, Kevin. That's really, really interesting. I can't be super surprised by that because when I think about you, you are, to me, first and foremost, an educator. You are a researcher, but you educate, it seems to me. I get that. Yeah, and that's what I've spent a big chunk of my life doing. I spent the first half of my corporate career 
uh, in learning and development, and then moved into recruiting and staffing, and and those are the two areas I've pretty much focused in. Career development, things like that, have been my corporate career background. Um, mm. And then uh, I've I've been an adjunct faculty at uh, three different universities for 15 years or so. So I do a lot of I've done a lot of teaching and, and continue to do teaching. So it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of what I really enjoy. I, so I have to ask that really quick. I I did not put your teaching part into your bio only because we were limited on space. But I was curious about that. If we could talk about that for just a second, I too, as I say, teach in, in university here in town. What keeps you teaching? Why? You've got so many other things going on. Why still teach? Uh, it it keeps me young. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, it keeps me connected to how people are thinking that are entering the workplace, and I think that's really important. Um, you know, I think as we get older, we tend to think that everybody thinks like we do and that everybody has the same needs and career goals that we had when we were that age, and it's uh, very enlightening to teach younger people and find out that they really have totally different ideas about things than we did. Uh, back then, or that most of us did. And, you know, they, they expect different things in the workplace. Uh, it truly enriches my uh, research and my consulting to have that experience. Uh, I think it's probably one of the most uh, gratifying experiences that I have and, and a place where I get a lot of learning because they really teach me probably as much as I teach them. I tell you, Kevin, I can absolutely completely squarely relate with what you just said there. It's the same thing for me. I continue to teach because I want to stay connected to to the younger generations that are coming in to populate the the workforce. They will be the majority as you as maybe you'll talk about that as one of your trends. I'm not sure, but they will be the majority and staying in tune with who they are, what their heartbeat is, what they want from work, what they expect from what they think work is, is really important. And every week I don't always teach every every um, every week, but most weeks I do. I, I park my car in the garage and I walk across that beautiful campus and I just think this is this is the future. And I, I'm very much, very much inspired by that. And when I walk into the classroom and I have the conversations and I see how hard these students work to develop themselves, to be able to contribute to the workplace, I really, it is very gratifying. So that's, we seem to have some commonality there. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great experience. I, I think anybody that has an opportunity to do it, um, should should take advantage of it because it's really <clears throat> it really is one of the best ways to learn. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And this might be related to that, but I've actually been wondering for years about this and never had occasion until just you, you being on my radio show to ask you. But you have been a part of, or maybe even you're the you're the reason this exists. And tell me if I'm saying this right: the Australasian Talent Conference. Is that the way to say it? The Australasian. Austral Asian. Thank you very much. Austral Asian. Austral Asian. Okay, that makes more sense. It's it's you okay. Austral Asian talent talent conference. Um, can you tell us about this conference? What is it? Who attends it? What happens at it? All those good things. Sure. It's uh, I we started. Uh, I was a co-founder of it with a, with an Australian business partner. Um, we were. Uh, I was speaking in Australia and doing some consulting in Australia and met this uh, this individual. And we were just uh, chatting one day, and we just said, you know, there's really no conferences or learning opportunities that are really a global uh, and future-focused for the people in the talent space. And so we decided that we would start uh, and just do a, a, a workshop or a session for these people. 
and it evolved over the course of a couple of years into a full-fledged conference business. And we now offer four four conferences a year. Um, one is a general conference similar to the ERE conference that you've attended, which is really designed for primarily for recruiters, but for really anybody in the in the talent space. And then we have a conference that's. Uh, we have different themes for the rest of the year. We this year we're doing a social media conference. Uh, it's coming up, and we do a conference on the gig economy, which we can talk about in a minute if you'd like. That's and it. we're doing one on people analytics. So mm. we'll, those are our four conferences for this coming year. Okay. Uh, I have been very intrigued by the whole notion of you putting on a conference. There is a part of me that would like to be able to do something like that myself and gather people that have similar interests and provide something meaningful, some kind of a format that's meaningful to them. So I've been intrigued by that. And I know you travel all over the world, Kevin, for your work. And I find that, of course, one, I told you I'm going to go in your back pocket for at least a few of these <laughs> things. <laughs> but I, I would like to ask, just before we get to that, is how is that you started traveling like that? You've been all over, and I know you do a lot of work in Asia. How did that start? Well, I think that's how it started. When I was working in the high-tech industry, um, we opened uh, factories all over Asia, primarily. And I was one of the people that was responsible for recruiting the staff of those factories and training and developing the staff of those uh, companies. So I spent years and years um, working in Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, Japan, China, uh, and uh, the Philippines to develop these these factories. So that's kind of how it started. And uh, I've kind of been traveling to Asia for the last uh, 30 years or so. And it's almost a second home to me at this point. Uh, and, you know, lots of people, lots of friends, lots of people that used to work in these businesses are now have to become friends and colleagues now. And so they recommend me for various consulting assignments and uh, speaking gigs and so I constantly get called back over to come and speak at some event or do some consulting or participate in a conference of some sort. And uh, so every year I spend quite a lot of time in, in Asia, also obviously in Australia and New Zealand because of the conference business. And then I do quite a lot of work as well in uh, the Netherlands and uh, the U.K., and sometimes in other countries like Finland or Lithuania or Brazil or Chile. So I really, I really get around, and it's primarily uh, either consulting or speaking at various events, particularly on topics like we're talking about. You know, what's the future hold? What are some of the trends that <clears throat> industry and, and, uh, and talent are facing over the next 10 years or so? And a lot of the corporate world is really, really... Um, really fascinated by what's happening and obviously concerned about what's happening and, and trying to think their way through into, you know, kind of a strategy for how they deal with all the trends that are, that are sort of merging together and creating a whole new, basically a whole new world out there for business. Oh, Kevin, you know, you said so much there. One of the thing, a couple of things I want to point out for our listeners is that one, I love the fact that what you've created for yourself began just by, you know, d d following some of your interests and then meeting people along the way who became colleagues and friends. 
I tell my students when we talk about career stuff, how important it is to, to be open to a new path that maybe you hadn't considered for yourself. And you certainly are a beautiful example of that and how the, t- the conference came to be because of that. And I think the fact that you get to go all over the world is, is just wonderful. It's one of the, the major reasons I wanted to have you on, Kevin, because I think you have such a unique perspective that you've cultivated over these years by the travel that you've done. Uh, I just think that is is phenomenal, that, that perspective that you've gained. Well, I'm very fortunate to have had the, that opportunity, I think. And, uh, and, you know, it does give you a very different view of the world. Um, it's just very, it's almost hard sometimes to communicate with people who don't have the opportunity to travel because they just don't see the perspective from other countries or other people. Uh, they don't understand how everything is interconnected and everything affects everything. Uh, and, you know, there's no such thing as, you know, really no such thing as uh, just being a worker in a single country. You know, you're connected somehow to a global supply chain, and and that whole chain affects everything. So it's just, it's really, uh, I think you just gain so much depth by having the opportunity to travel and work with different companies in different parts of the world and what they're experiencing and the shortages and talent challenges they have. Um, it's uh, it's really just a very um, wonderful learning experience, and and hopefully I can convey some of that to other people in my talks and so forth. I, I think you can, and that cues us up beautifully for our first break, Kevin. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Kevin Wheeler, a well-known futurist, speaker, author, teacher, and consultant in talent acquisition and development. He is the founder and chairman of the Future of Talent Institute and the founder and president of Global Learning Resources Incorporated and the director of the Australasian Talent Conference. He joins us today from San Francisco, California. We've been talking a little bit about some of the trends that are going to impact the the future workforce and how he got here. After the break, we're going to get more in-depth into some of those trends. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you in your own driver's seat? Tune in to a program that will get you there based on what others have managed to do through challenges in their lives and how they persevered. Tune in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. On our show, we use real issues and experts to help you reclaim your life. Danielle and her guests are here to steer you in the right direction. Make sure that you are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to harness your power. 
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Kevin Wheeler, who is a well-known futurist, speaker, author, teacher, and consultant in the talent acquisition and development space. He travels, speaks, and works globally in more than 14 countries in Europe, Asia, and South America. He is the founder and chairman of the Future of Talent Institute and the founder and president of Global Learning Resources, and also the director of the Austral Austral. Australian, I'm sorry, I'm going to let him say that, Talent Conference. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Kevin, tell me again how to say that conference. Australasian. Australasian, thank you. Australasian. Okay, so I definitely want to zero in on some of these trends here, and I know one of the things that you queued up in our first segment that is really interesting to me is this notion of a gig economy. I don't know if that's one of the one of the trends you're going to talk about. Is it? And would you say more about it? Sure, yeah, the gig economy is huge. Um you know, I think what's really happening is a transformation of how we look at work um, and just our general mental model of what it is to work. And, you know, my model, uh, most people's model, if you're a baby boomer, was, you know, an eight to five job, 40 hours a week um, and, and often working for a single employer for a long period of time. <clears throat> that was kind of the standard model. It's probably what your parents aspired to. And it's no longer the model. So the model now is uh, a very varied model of working perhaps as that regular employee for some portion of your career. Maybe that's what you do when you first graduate from university, uh, where you first start to get some experience. You may work two, three, four years, whatever, uh, as a regular employee. But then the trend is very much to move around and do different things, to become a consultant or a contractor or even part-time worker, uh, all of which kind of is lumped under the term the contingent workforce or the gig workforce, which are people who do gigs, who do a job, do a project. And, you know, project work is becoming kind of the normal way to do work these days. So, you know, you may be hired to work on a project of some sort, and when the project ends you might leave that organization and go somewhere else. Um, you know, some commentators refer to it as the Hollywood model, which is like movies are made in Hollywood where a producer hires a director who assembles uh, actors and actresses and cameramen and, and so forth and so on, puts together a team for a film, and when the film is done, that team sort of goes back and does whatever else they do. Um, so that's becoming a very common thing. So I think what you're going to see in the future is that people are going to work some as permanent, as a regular employee. Don't ever use the word permanent. Right, <laughs> as a regular right. employee. Uh, some of the time as a uh, as a contracted employee, perhaps, or uh, a consultant. Some are going to start their own business, do that for a few years, 
may it may be successful enough for them to remain doing that. It may be that that doesn't really meet their needs, and they may decide that they need to go back into a regular job. But you're going to find a whole variety of things, and I think that's the beauty of the future workforce is that it's going to be a very complex workforce. It's going to require you know recruiters and companies to rethink the mix of the workforce. And you know one of the things that I think is really fascinating for organizations to consider is who are those employees that you really absolutely do need to have as regular employees who work pretty much only for you all the time, and which are the employees that it doesn't matter, that could work at home, could work for somebody else as well as you, uh, who could do uh, could work for a short period of time and move on, and it wouldn't cause you any harm. And so a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of companies are sitting down and thinking about that now. It's part of their strategy. They call it the workforce composition. And, you know, what should that workforce look like? Um, on the career side for young people in university, I know certainly the students that I work with, probably over half of them want to become an entrepreneur, want to do something on their own. Uh, of course, they're, they're concerned if they'll be successful, some of them. Um, but when you're, you know, uh, in your 20s, and the trends today are uh, are very different in terms of lifestyle than they were for my generation. This generation isn't getting married. The marriage rates have declined in every country in the world except for three over the last 20 years, and they continue to go down. Uh, People aren't having children. Birth rates are down everywhere in the world. Most of Europe and big chunks of Asia have negative. The U.S. is about break even. So, you know, the, the trends are very different. Uh, these young people aren't buying houses. They aren't buying cars. Uh, their only debt, really, for some of them, is their college debt. Uh, but once they pay that off or if they don't have any college debt, they're free to be an entrepreneur, and they don't need to make a whole lot of money uh, with the hope of becoming you know, very rich or very successful. So it's a very different picture than it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago, and it's probably going to continue to get even more uh, inclined to be a gig world where people are much less likely to have a career in a company for a long period of time or even to do the same thing for a long period of time. Some people go to college, they get a degree in one thing, they end up doing it for a few years, and they maybe do something totally different. <clears throat> so you're going to see a lot of variety and a lot of difference in how people think about their career, about their life in general, uh, their lifestyle, uh, and, and, uh, and work. I love what you said there, Kevin. I got to chime in on two things that are both what I call Dan related. Um, one, uh, <laughs> one is that I love how you situated for us that particular trend. If you just said the gig economy, that would have been one thing. But to flavor it with how society across the world is changing with the marriage rates and the, and the childbirth rates and just having a lot more flexibility and being able to have a gig versus a job is fascinating. And I, I don't know if Dan Pink talked about that in his Free Agent Nation book some years ago. Um, where he talked about people having, you know, being more free agents for themselves. I don't, my recollection is that he addressed that more from the vantage point that that's what employers would need, not that's what, it, what people would want. I don't know if he did or not, but I, 
I see that what you're coloring for us is just so much more driven by how how society is changing. And I think that's hopelessly interesting. Um, and then the other thing I'd say is the other Dan, Dan Schauble, who um, wrote the book Promote Yourself, he's all about this notion of making sure that you're good at and being known for good, being good at one one thing, at least one thing. People know that you're good at that. And it strikes me that if you're going to go the gig economy route, then you should people ought to know what that thing is that you're really good at. Absolutely. And I think that that's uh, um, it's very important. And you can be good, I think, at a couple of things. I mean, you could be a very good musician and get great gigs as a musician, and you could be a great software programmer and get good gigs doing that, and you could do both. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, again, that uh, these workers that have multiple uh, good things that they do or multiple skills uh, is also a new trend. So you've got people that are you know, very accomplished in two or three different areas uh, and make money on all two or three of those different areas, although none of those three would sustain them alone. So I think it's quite an interesting phenomenon. I do, too. And I hope that's encouraging to our listeners out there who do have a few interests they want to cultivate. Uh, and, and who don't want to just do the one thing. I've had many people say, but do I have to choose? Do I have to just be this one thing when I have these two or three other things that I really like and want to develop? And I hope that's really encouraging to them to hear that. Yeah, and I think it's important to knit together that kind of a lifestyle if that's uh, important to you, if those things are important to you. And, you know, I've got a friend, he's a, he's a part-time contract recruiter, and he's a fantastic jazz musician. Mm. But as you can imagine, jazz musicians don't make a lot of money. And, <laughs> I suppose not. And and, uh, and um, so he he you know he that's really what he does about thirty percent of the time and seventy percent of the time he does recruiting. So you know he's he's knitted together a lifestyle for himself that works really well, um, and he supported a family and a couple of children. So you can absolutely do that, um, but you've really got to consciously think about that. You've got to figure out. You know, you know, maybe it's I, I make cookies and sell them to a local bakery on the weekends and I have another job uh, as well or I decorate cakes or whatever it is. But you can be an entrepreneur and turn that into money. Uh, and the Internet has made things so much easier today. Uh, you know, the, the way to market and sell your products has become almost almost cost free. Um, it takes time. It takes uh, some effort, but it doesn't take a lot of money to become a fairly successful online entrepreneur, sell things on eBay. Uh, there's all kinds of ways you can make additional money um, and and use your passions and your hobbies and your skills to, to that effect. I was wondering, actually, Kevin, and I don't know if this is one of the trends you wanted to talk about, but you mentioned that one of the things that you're offering through the conference is something on social media. And when you talked about the gig economy, my mind went to immediately relationships. And and in order to sustain ourselves in a gig economy, it seems to me that we have to be exceptionally good at cultivating relationships all over the place, not just in our immediate backyard, but in other places that we're, we're, we could put those to work. And social media seems like one way we could do that. But maybe you've got a different perspective on it. What, what were you wanting to say about social media? No, I think, I think you're right. I think that uh, uh, networks, having a network, building and creating and nurturing a network is a real skill. And it's the skill that will get you jobs and, and get you um, uh, and, and, and help you fulfill your, your dreams. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, we've often thought of networking is something you only do when you're out of a job. And then you go to these events and look for a job or you go to 
you call up all your friends and ask them if they know of anything available. And, you know, I think that's really a very, very old-fashioned uh, way of doing it. Uh, and I think right now we all have a responsibility to build our networks. Uh, it's part of that creating a brand for yourself, if you want to say, or uh, creating a awareness of your that you have skills. Um, how else do people know that you have a skill if you don't promote it? Promote yourself in some way, and I don't mean putting out full paid ads about how wonderful you are. I just mean by connecting to people, building up a network on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on any of the social tools that are out there today, and and using them effectively, not just making a friend on Facebook, but actually communicating with a friend, actually getting to know them and share things with them and develop kind of a, a more complete knowledge of each other so that if an opportunity comes up, they'll think of you, um, you'll think of them. And so, you know, building networks is clearly how I built my career and my ability to travel around the world and do this. is all by meeting people, connecting with people. Um, uh, you know, there's almost nobody that I don't try to make a friend with or connect with anywhere I go because you never know where that's going to lead. And so I think that, you know, social media is a fantastic way to reach out to a community of people and, and chat with them. And, you know, when I travel to London or somewhere like that, I'll put out a tweet and just say, I'm going to be in London on these dates at this hotel. Would you like to meet for a beer or a glass of wine? Or how about getting together? And, you know, you'll be amazed. People actually show up. <laughs> Isn't and, uh, it wonderful? <laughs> And, you know, you end up with uh, with three or four good friends after a while that you can communicate with, and they give you work, and they connect you to other people. So, you know, whether it's uh, using, you know, online social media or whether it's just building personal face-to-face -face networks, I think getting out, getting known, uh, nurturing these relationships by uh, either online communication or going out and having lunch or a cup of coffee, uh, is just incredibly important. Well, and I connect this back to what you said before we went on the break, Kevin, about the importance of how your travel has informed how you think about things and how you understand how everything is threaded together because of because of your travel. And I completely agree that for me, the, even just this show, this show enjoys listenership all over the world, which I think is amazing and a wonderful experience for me to get to have to connect with people all over the world. And same thing, my experience of being able to connect to people I wouldn't otherwise have any business to meet because of Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn. And I, it does give me that perspective that broadens my horizon and my understanding and my place in the world. And I see those two very much, very much in tandem, the travel, the social media, the networks. I, I, I really see that. Synergy, I guess synergy. Yeah, it really is, and and you know, I think it's it's. Um, I know there are people that are very introverted or very, um, you know, shy or reluctant to do this out of either just their own personal personality or maybe even sometimes out of fear of you know of um, exposing themselves. Uh, but I think that success in the 21st century is really going to be heavily dependent upon your networks, um, professional and personal, and that it's going to be really an important skill to have to learn how to build those networks, to nurture the networks. Um, I think we're all more powerful together than we are as individuals. 
And I think that's uh, kind of a big learning that we need to have, that collectively you can do far more than you can ever do by yourself. And that collective doesn't necessarily have to be face-to-face. It can be, certainly it can be very much virtual. And so for those people who are a bit reluctant, I think it's just really uh, important to try to overcome some of that and, and begin to at least dip your toe in the water and begin to get out there and experiment with some of this. I agree, Kevin. In fact, I teach a various communication and career-oriented classes at Southern Methodist University in the communication department. And one of the exercises I have my students do is they have to go to, they have to identify a networking opportunity and they have to go and create, they create an elevator pitch and they have to go in and they have to meet at least three people and then tell me about it, write about it. And they always tell me how much they hated the idea, how much they were so not looking forward to it and they were so scared and they just didn't want to do it. And there was any way to get out of it. And then afterwards they report, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you made me do that because now I feel more confident. I know I can do it. And it was actually kind of fun. Yeah, I think absolutely. And I think people <laughs> just have to get used to that. And I, you know, there's countries I go to where social media is not popular. Uh, it's been very slow to take acceptance. Australia is one of them um, where, you know, the, the idea, uh, it's just very foreign to their cultural upbringing to be up front and connect to people that you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, they've had the, one of the slowest uptakes of social media of any country around, although they're slowly getting there now. But it's been a long journey for them. But, you know, it's really about helping them understand the, the value of it, first of all, uh, what it can do for them, the benefits from it. Uh, the getting over the fear factor uh, and just getting out there and and test the water some. And when you look at Asia, in contrast, they're just the most highly networked, uh, you know, probably most of the social media users in the world are in Asia. Uh, Indonesia leads the world in uh, using social media. And, you know, everybody is connected to everybody on a variety of different applications, not just Facebook and this, this native Chinese applications and many others in different languages out there, and they all have incredible amounts of following. So, uh, you know, I think the, the part of the growing success of Asia is their ability to network so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Great way to leave us. If we, is, hang on, Kevin. Just hold that thought, if you will. We've got to, we've got to go for a quick break. Let's get sure, that when we come back. Always. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We're on the air with Kevin Wheeler, who is a well-known futurist, speaker, author, teacher, and consultant in talent acquisition and development. He is the founder and chairman of the Future of Talent Institute and also the founder and president of Global Learning Resources and the director of the Austral-Asian Talent Conference. He joins us today from San Francisco, California. We'll talk more about the HR trends he's got in that mind of his after the break. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. 
To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise. A-L-I-S-E at EliseCortez.com Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Kevin Wheeler, who is a well-known futurist, speaker, author, teacher, and consultant in the talent acquisition and development space. He travels, speaks, and works globally in more than 14 countries in Europe, Asia, and South America. He is the founder and chairman of the Future of Talent Institute and the founder and president of Global Learning Resources and the director of the Austral-Asian Talent Conference. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Before the break, Kevin, I had to cut you off, and you were talking about some interesting phenomenon happening in terms of the social media space and how different countries in Asia use social media. And you, I think, mentioned that, did you say Indonesia works very strongly in, in social media? Is that what you said last? Yes, I did. I said Indonesia is the most connected on social media of any country in the world. Um, okay. I think they have the most Facebook users and the most users in general on social media. Uh, and China is right behind them, a huge number, although they use their own social media tools <clears throat> that were developed within China. Uh, China, Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, the Philippines are all very, very heavy users of uh, social media, and you know they're very connected as societies and very networked. And I think a lot of the sort of the, the rise of Asia, and believe me, economically it is rising quickly, uh, comes about because of their ability to very quickly forge uh, networks, put together project, put together teams to accomplish goals, to overcome regional barriers through these social medias. And you know, clearly. Um, you know, more and more uh, national boundaries are less meaningful than uh, communication boundaries. And being able, because communication doesn't ignore politics and boundaries. And whether you're in Syria or, or China or the U.S., you can communicate um, and you can share messages and share things on the Internet. So this ability to network and connect becomes a, a crucial piece of the future economy. Uh, maybe the mm. backbone of the future economy and mm. the future way to get jobs and careers. That is so exciting to me to hear you talk about this. I, I really, well, I'm encouraged by it, and I don't think I really did understand the, the extent to which it was being used for those purposes out there, Kevin. So thank you for that. That's wonderful. Wonderful. 
Um, another thing that you mentioned early on as you were chatting here that I definitely want to get into, and I I, I, I got to believe it's got to be framed as one of your, human, your, your trends, is you mentioned people analytics. Say more about people analytics, if you would. Yeah, I mean, I think finally, um, you know, we've had financial analytics and scientific analytics and all sorts of things for decades or longer, <clears throat> but we really have really had very little data um, about people. And we really don't really have a whole lot of good, good ways to even assess people or determine what people's capabilities are or to, you know, help select people for employment. These are things that are more art than science or have been. And I think they're, we're beginning to get a little bit better at understanding some of the um, ways to look at these things through the data that we're able to gather. And because of the Internet and social media, we now have access to just, just scads of data about how people behave, how people act, how people think. Um, some of it's further scary and some of it is intrusive, but... Uh, nonetheless, it's it's out there and happening. Um, there are apps and tools right now that can assess your personality uh, quite accurately simply by looking at your tweets and your Facebook posts. Um, and it does an extremely good job that correlates well with with standard personality tests. They there are ways that they can use uh, these uh, your Facebook posts and and so forth to. Uh, test your values, your honesty, uh, a number of things that can be derived from this. And like I say, some of these things may seem intrusive, and we certainly don't yet have the ethical codes or the uh, rules of etiquette or even the legal structure to deal with this yet, but they're emerging. But nonetheless, this uh, is being used to analyze us. Um, and Recruiters are able to use some of these tools when they begin to look at people and assess them for jobs. Um, they can uh, do all sorts of things. Even with video interviewing, they can even do biometric assessment of your facial features. Um, the computer analyzes those to tell if you're telling the truth or if you're uh, depressed or happy. They can tell many things from your, from your facial features. So there's some really interesting things going on, some very practical uses, which are not what I just talked about, but more about just actually looking at employees in a company and saying, who are our most successful people and what are their successes based on in terms of their, their own personal backgrounds? And because we now have all this data online, we can actually aggregate it, assess it. Uh, there's tools that can actually look at and understand uh, written words and, and comprehend content and can come to conclusions that people like this are more likely to be successful or people who've had these various uh, variables in their background are more likely to be uh, more productive than people that don't. And that, therefore, that all goes into the hopper of assessment. So there's a lot of things in the people analytics space that are intriguing, uh, fascinating, and scary. Well, I first register, wow, fascinating, Kevin. I really appreciate you sharing this with us. I had no idea these things were happening. And I I, th I have actually wondered, as I do my posts, my tweets, 
that there must be a way to be able to tell, you know, something about me because I do tend to say some of the same things. I usually infuse positivity and optimism and encouragement and <laughs> there, there's, there, I, I don't do it on purpose. It's just part of the way that I tend to go about it. It's my, it's my habit. And I have wondered if people can go, Oh, there's Elise Cortez again. That, I recognize that. <laughs> and that's yeah, just yeah, people, let alone tell your personality. Yeah, let alone somebody, you know, software helping them along. So that's, I think that's really intriguing and does get me to the next thing I wanted to ask you about. And that is really how companies maybe are hiring these days. And if they're using technology at all in certain ways to be able to help their decisions and, and how you see what's happening today and plus maybe what's coming down the road. Sure, technology is, I think, becoming the backbone of, of uh, recruiting and coupled with the analytics piece, it becomes very effective. Um, so very similar to uh, most all of the listeners, I'm sure, have had some experience buying something online, <clears throat> probably from a company like Amazon. And if you've used a company like that, uh, they collect all kinds of data about your buying habits, and they can recommend things to you that, they're, that you're likely to want to buy because they know that you typically like that kind of thing or that color or that shape or whatever it is or that kind of book and they can recommend more of those things. Uh, it's far more even sophisticated than that, but that's a, a simplistic view of it. And the same is being applied in, in the recruiting space. So when they look at a candidate who maybe uh, has characteristics that they are really interested in, they can determine what, what is going to engage you, what's going to attract you uh, more to the company, and they can feed you specific videos, specific messaging, that um, would be something that you would look at very positively, whereas maybe I wouldn't look at it positively because it doesn't fit my personality or my background. So they're able to do this uh, on the fly at some of the leading edge companies, and that's going to be more and more common over the next few years. As I mentioned a bit earlier, they can do certain levels of assessment of you right away just by how you answer questions that they might ask you or even just by what you click on and what you look at. Uh, on the website. So uh, technology is becoming core to, you know, having a really effective uh, recruiting function. It's uh, the way that you can uh, find candidates through searching on the internet. Uh, it's a way that you can attract them through various engagement processes like social media tools, um, messaging, very specific often messaging to people based on their interests and personality, and then uh, uh, engagement uh, tools where they can, even, uh, they can even interview you online with a robotic tool. It's called a chatbot, and uh, you can go to certain recruiting websites, and a little pop-up box will come up there and say, hi, Elise, tell me a little bit more about yourself. Tell me uh, where'd you go to school or how much experience do you have? It'll ask you questions, and it's it's portrayed as a person, but it's actually just a computer. And the computer is assessing you as you go through that. And at the end of the process, you might get passed on to a human, or you might get a message saying, thanks, but we don't have anything for you right now. So technology is becoming more and more embedded in the recruiting process. And uh, all the way, and then all the way from finding you to assessing you, uh, right up until almost the final step, uh, technology is playing a part. 
So just to put this all together for our listeners out there, we had a show earlier. So what you let me just make sure that I'm clear about this. So what you are talking about is artificial intelligence. Yes. Yes, I am. It's, uh-huh. it's uh, okay. machine learning, artificial intelligence. Yep. Um, all combined into uh, into these tools. Yeah. Okay. I just want to I want to put that together for my listeners because it's really important that they not fear that word. I think a lot of people out there do fear that word. And when you see what it what it is actually doing in terms of productivity and contribution, I think it's remarkable. And I think a lot of people still harbor fear around it. So I wanted just to cast it in a, in, a, in a positive light. Um, we are literally almost out of time, Kevin, if you can believe that. But if you can, just I just got to hear you say a little bit about what's happening in the learning space here and maybe in, say, two minutes, if you can. Sure. Um, I think, you know, learning, which was formal classroom structured learning, and both you and I are lecturers in a university, we kind of know that model. We also know, at least I, I certainly am aware, that it's a dying model and that students are much more likely to want to learn on their own, learn a lot online and through other media than listening to a teacher talk. I think the role of the teacher is not going to go away, but it's going to evolve into being a coach and a guide, um, more of a tutor who can uh, direct students in a certain way, who can provide a, a basic outline and structure for, for talking about a topic. Uh, but I think that we're seeing that learning is becoming moved out of the hands of a teacher who knows all into the hands of the student who has needs. Uh, I need to know how to do this. I want to know this. I'm curious about this. And then they might need some guidance about how to find out about that and where to go, but they're going to be doing that more and more on their own, and they're going to be guided, again, by some of this artificial intelligence online that will help them like Siri and uh, Google Voice and other things where you can actually query your phone and ask it and learn from that. So a whole new dimension is coming into the learning space. Oh, that is a wonderful way to finish, um, Kevin. I ha- had a, a previous guest, Mike Bainbridge, who is uh, the chief digital officer of Rackspace on talking, and he was helping us understand how to use technology better for those things. And he taught me how to use Siri for those kinds of things. So <laughs> it's funny you say that. Um, um, I'm so glad you agreed to come on the show, Kevin. Thank you for spending time with us. I know you're a busy man, and thanks for, for jumping on with us. Really appreciate it's having you. really fun. Thank you. If you want to learn more about Kevin Wheeler or his two companies, visit Global Learning Resources at glresources.com or the Future of Talent Institute at futureoftalent.org. Such a wise and informed man about talent recruitment and development. I love hearing you talk about trends. Always gets me every time. Join us next week when we celebrate a special holiday program and feature none other than Santa Claus to share a little season's inspiration that I hope will ignite a little warmth in your hearts and urge you to pay the the magic forward. He'll be right here with me in my office studio doing a a Facebook live stream with me. So see you then. Remember that work is one third of our lives. So let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.